picture with me this sin that will take place on the final judgment day when we all appear before the judgment seat of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 25, in the gospel reading, there was this being read for us. We were told that when the Son of God comes, He will separate the righteous from the unrighteous, the righteous, the sheep, on His right, and the unrighteous, the goats, on His left. The righteous will be given eternal life. Well, the unrighteous will be eternally condemned. The question that I have for you is, where do you think we will stand before the judgment's throne of God? To His right or to His left? The study of eschatology, what the Bible teaches about end of times, is something that we often don't talk about or we don't want to talk about, much less to devote time to study especially on the topic and issues of judgment, uh, hell, and eternal life. Many of us, I suspect, we have unanswered questions on God's judgment on hell and eternal life. Questions such as, if Jesus had promised eternal life, why do we still have to face the judgment of God? And some of us may be asking, is hell real? Or others, you may be asking, what do we need to receive eternal life? The study of eschatology is actually very important uh, to help us better understand the doctrine of salvation and also to help us to determine the appropriate responses that we are to take as disciples of Jesus Christ. At the end of my sharing, I hope we will have a better understanding of judgment, hell and eternal life. But before we start, we need to ask the question, why did Paul write to the church in Rome to address the issue of judgment? To answer the question, we need to look at how Paul crafted his message from verses 6 to 11. And you will see on the screen this chiastic structure or a mirror image of sentence structure where Paul highlighted three issues. Firstly, the impartial judgment of God. Secondly, the severe consequence of sin, and thirdly, the pursuit of eternal life. Firstly, the impartial judgment of God, verses 6 and 11. He, God, will render to each one according to his works, for God shows no partiality. Paul makes it clear that Jesus Christ will judge each one according to his works. The phrase each one, verse 6, is a third-person pronoun which Paul used to describe the Jewish and Gentile believers and the people who do not believe in Jesus Christ. What that means is everyone, believers, and that's us, and non-believers will face the judgment of God. Jesus will judge each one according to his works. Verse 6, while salvation is by faith and not works, Paul is clear that the outcome of God's judgment that leads to eternal life or eternal condemnation is based on how we live out God's truth, either as righteous or unrighteous. As we live out God's truth, the righteous judge will be impartial in delivering his judgment. To be impartial means Jesus was used the same yardstick to measure one person to another person.
person in determining his judgment. He will not be biased, he will not show favoritism, and he will not give special privilege. Last week, I was flying back from Bangkok after attending a wedding. I was very eager to board the plane at the airport to get home because we were all so dead tired. And then I thought I could get through the queue, you know, ahead of the queue with my Chris Flyer status. Then when the ground staff uh, looked at my boarding pass, she said to me, Sir, please get back into the queue. No special privilege. While we have no issue for non-believers and sinners to be judged by God, because that's what we have been taught all this while, that people who do not believe in Jesus and sinners will be judged, we struggle. We struggle with why Christians are not excused from God's judgment. Do we not have special privileges as sons and daughters of God? My quick response to that and my non-theological response is, of the more as sons and daughters of God, we should be subjected to the same measurement, the same judgment of God. God is impartial in His judgment, and we see His impartial judgment in Matthew chapter 25. The king used the same yardstick to determine his judgment on both the righteous and the unrighteous. Somehow we have this idea that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are spared from the judgment of God. And we assume that eternal life is guaranteed, a done deal. The moment we, th we think that the moment we profess with our mouth that we believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, therefore, I'm guaranteed a ticket to heaven. And this is despite knowing that we are not living a righteous life. We like to believe that we are once safe, always safe. A Calvinist believes that the moment a person confesses that he is a Christian, he is safe from hell and will not lose his salvation. Did God promise once safe, always safe? Let's examine two passages that are often used to defend this idea of one safe, always safe. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. John 5.24 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. It may appear at first glance that Jesus gave us a priority pass, a shortcut to heaven. But this is not to be the case. We need to understand both passages in the context of what our Lord is saying about salvation. And we need to understand both passages in the context of Scripture as a whole. Allow me to illustrate our Lord's promise of eternal life in these two passages with the statement that parents like to use on their children. Study hard, get a good education, and you will have a good future. How many of us did that as parents? All right, thank you. I'm not alone. Thank you. Many of us have used that with good intention to motivate our children to work harder in their studies. But you will agree with me that studying hard and a good education alone are not sufficient for a good future. 
The spirit of the statement is true. Studying hard and a good education, however, only serve as a good starting block in life. So young people, I'm not uh, advocating that you quit school tomorrow. I, I see some young people here, so I better say that. So please get back to your textbooks when you get home and work harder on your studies. This is free from me uh, on behalf of your parents. The point that I want to make is this. The eventual outcome, a good future, is also dependent on the things that you do between your education and you enjoying a good future. That includes your formation as a person, your dedication and hard work to build up your career and your determination to pursue your calling in life. In the same way, when we look at John 3.16 and 5.24, we often focus on the outcome, eternal life, but we have so ignored the process in making faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. And that takes place between the point of salvation and judgment day. A process, and this is a process we call discipleship. And discipleship is something that our Lord Jesus Christ would not compromise. Otherwise, He would not have called us to make disciples and teach Him to obey everything that He had commanded in Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20. So as we examine both passages, you will find a common phrase. Believes in Him in John 3, 16 and believes Him in John 5, 24. The word believe uh, in Greek, has a deeper meaning. Belief here means more than just cognitive understanding. It implies that we are to translate our belief into actions. In other words, we are to live out our belief before we are to receive the gift of eternal life. Receiving salvation is not the mean to the end, but the beginning of a journey. As people who are redeemed to grow, as disciples to become passionately committed to Christ, which will eventually lead to eternal life. As we examine the Gospels and the pieces carefully, you will notice that Scripture is consistent on God's impartial judgment. And Scripture is also consistent on how non-believers and, and believers will be judged by God when Christ returns. He will bring a permanent end to darkness in our world, where there will be no more wars, no more suffering, no more famines, no more disasters, no more sickness, no more evil, and no more death. Revelation chapter 21. So that our Father's love can prevail forever and ever. Secondly, the severe consequence of sin, verses 8 and 9. I mentioned earlier that Paul designed his message with this chiastic structure, and in any chiastic structure, the point or the center of the structure usually contains the key to the author's message. And in our text today, the key to Paul's message is found in verses 8 and 9. Those who are self-seeking and do not, do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. Paul 
is concerned that people may not be aware of the severe consequence of sin. Or perhaps he has observed, he has heard about what the Romans were doing and he was concerned that even the believers were not aware of the severe consequence of sin. So those who seek their own glory, he said, and those who do not obey the truth, which is the word of God, and those who indulge in worldly lifestyles, and those who does evil will face the wrath of God and will be eternally condemned, where tribulations and distress will take place. My friends, we have been saved by the grace of God, by the Christ- but like the Christians in Rome, perhaps some of us, we have taken God's grace for granted. We may still be living in sin and we may still be doing things that we know that does not please God. And we think we can get away with sin. For those who sin against God, the day will come when we will face the wrath of God. And there will be tribulation and distress. My friends, hell is real. And sadly, we may not be taking the consequence of sin seriously. How do we know that in the survey conducted by a UK-based group organisation called YouGov on a mixed group of Singaporeans in 2019, just before the pandemic? Close to a third or 33% of Singaporeans believe in hell just as they believe in heaven. But only 10% of people surveyed are concerned about hell after death. Which means... 90% of Singaporeans are not concerned or do not believe in hell at all. In similar surveys conducted in US and UK, it was found that 62% in US and 74% in UK believe and are concerned about hell. In a culture where eschatology is more widely discussed and debated compared to our Asian culture, it is not surprising the more in the Western culture believe in hell and are concerned about it. But of course, living out their faith is a different matter. In our part of the world, the mention of hell, especially in a season like this, Chinese New Year, easily upsets people. So please, after the service, don't throw a stone at me. And Christians included, we, we get upset, you know, when, when the pastors talk about hell. Very often after, you know, a session like this, I will get members telling me, Pastor, you know, please don't talk about hell. La. Talk about something else. We'd rather talk about God's love. We, we'd rather talk about topics like God's blessing, God's kindness, God's compassion, God's grace, which are more appealing to the ears. But we you know, shun away from the topic on hell. Yesterday, someone said to me, hell is a myth, it belongs to Hopa Villa. Hell is real, my friends. Hell is not a myth. The king said to the unrighteous on judgment day, depart from me, you curse, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me, Imagine being eternally separated from God. Imagine being cursed by God and imagine 
being condemned in eternal fire together with the devil and his angels. Unfortunately, most of us think hell has got nothing to do with us, and we choose to continue to live in sin. But friends, when we do so, we will face the wrath of God, and we will be subjected to eternal condemnation, and we will be eternally separated from God. We have been warned, and we need to take our Christian faith more seriously, and we also need to step up discipleship so that we can learn to live more righteously before God. God's wrath and God's judgment also highlights the urgency of the gospel. At this very moment, 69% of the 7 billion population in our world will perish if Christ were to come back today. Imagine, 5 billion people being condemned in hell, and many of them, our loved ones, our colleagues and our friends, our neighbours. What will you and I help people understand the consequence of sin? What is our attitude towards the people who will perish in hell? I must confess, I never gave much thought about that until I was caught into the mission field. I think most of us have not given much thought about the people who will perish in hell. But Jesus cares. Jesus cares for every soul and every life that exists on the face of this planet. Regardless of who they are, their spoken language, their skin color, their education, their profession, whether they are rich or poor, their culture, their background, Jesus cares. He sacrificed his life on the cross for us and for this five billion people and for them to have a chance to hear the gospel being preached and to be redeemed from sin and darkness. If you have been following the progress of church growth, you will notice that the headlines in the last few decades have changed from the rate of growth to the rapid rate of decline. The problem of the decline is not with God, but rather with our failure in not taking the Great Commission seriously. One evangelist said this, if the church were to take hell more seriously as they have on heaven, perhaps fewer Christians would have fallen away and even fewer would end up in hell. People need the Lord. We need to urgently step up evangelism in this dark, sin-filled world. And we need to boldly proclaim the gospel. Lastly, the pursuit of eternal life, verses 7 and 10. What is the basis for eternal life? Paul holds the view that people are to pursue eternal life or to work towards eternal life, which is what we see in verse 6, and now repeat the idea repeated again in verse 7. So, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honour and, and immortality, he will give eternal life, verse 10, 
but glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, and the Jew first, and also the Greek. To those who by patience, the word patience is also interpreted as consistent and persistent in Greek. So the phrase patience and well-doing refers to a life of consistent and persistent lifestyle of living in righteousness that seeks for the glory and honour of God in everything that we do and in every aspect of our life. As in contrast with self-seeking in verse 8, which leads to eternal condemnation. Paul also urges us to seek immortality, verse 7. When we hear the word immortality, we think of immortals, we think of superheroes in Marvel series, we think of living forever. But Paul is not asking us to become immortals. To seek immortality is to live life with an eternal kingdom perspective. Remember our Lord's teaching on Sermon of the Mount. He said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in to steal but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Matthew chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. Jesus is calling us to do things and to make life decisions that will lead to eternal life. In other words, to become disciples who are passionately committed to Christ, we have to quit being a Sunday or a part-time Christian and to instead become a full-time Christian who are wholeheartedly devoted to living righteously according to the truth of God, who glorify and honour God in everything that we do and in our being. And we are to live with an eternal kingdom perspective, not seeking for what we can gain personally, but to seek for what will last for the eternal. Eternal life is a gift from God to those who believe in Jesus Christ. Eternal life is living the full life of Christ, the fullness of life in Christ Jesus as his disciple. And that is something that will last eternally even beyond our physical life on earth, where we will experience the glory, the honour, and the peace of God, verse 10. My dear friends, we are reminded today we will all, each one of us, believers and non-believers, will face the impartial judgment of God. The outcome of God's judgment is either eternal life or eternal condemnation. Church, you cannot go back to change the beginning, but you can start where you are and change the ending. While we cannot change the past, we can determine how we end. So it does not matter where you are today in your spiritual life and your walk with God, but you can determine how you want to end when we face our Lord on the final judgment day. And I want to end with this same question that I started with. Where will we stand? before the judgment seat of our impartial and righteous judge, Jesus Christ, on judgment day. 
if we want to be ready for eternal life, we need revival in our spiritual life and we need revival in cathedral. We need to repent of our past and we need to be renewed by His Holy Spirit so that we can be committed again to pursue the things that works for eternal life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so sorry that we have taken your grace for granted. And repent, we repent for all that we have done and that displeases and dishonor you. And we ask that you will renew us with the Holy Spirit so that we can be prepared from the inside out for the revival that you will bring into our lives and into this cathedral. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, because of you and because of your word, there is now hope for eternal life for each one of us. So help us, Lord, to cling on tightly to that hope to how we will be formed as your disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.